Hey there, and welcome to episode 26 of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. As usual, we have a ton of stuff to talk through from last week to get you caught up on. So some of the things we have today, smart diapers, vulnerable cable modems, more IoT botnets, the Internet of Cows, threat intelligence reports, and much more. So let's get going. All right, so first up... Uh, smart diapers. So Monit, M-O-N-I-T, I believe that's how you say it, which is a Korean company, has uh, produced a new Bluetooth sensor which can alert parents when a diaper is soiled. So that's pretty cool. So you don't have to stick your nose down there and, uh, you know, see what's up. So in the future, they're also saying that the sensor will be able to, in addition to, uh, you know, telling telling you if your baby's diaper is soiled, um, the sensor will also be able to tell you, you know, the air quality around the sensor and also the, t- also the temperature. So, uh, yeah, some more, I guess they're useful devices, useful uh, sensors from uh, IoT. And then next up, we have a couple of stories on broadband cable modems. So the first one involves um, cable modems that are based on the Intel Puma 6 um, CPU which I think is basically, I think one of the stories I read, which is basically an atom chip. Uh, but anyway, apparently they are susceptible to low bandwidth, a low bandwidth DOS attack. So they're specifically the Puma 6 modems are sold as gigabit broadband get- gateways. So that's even uh, weirder that these are sold as high bandwidth modems. However, they're able to be DOS by some uh, low bandwidth attack. And apparently this particular, uh, the Puma 6 modems are used by a number of ISPs, including Comcast and Virgin Media. And then the next cable modem story is about some research that was done uh, done on cable modems from around the world where they were able to determine that they were susceptible to a weakness in the simple network management protocol, which is SNMP. Um, SNMP is a protocol that's common on a lot of uh, network devices, um, and it's used for various things. Um, but apparently these particular researchers, they found a weakness in the, uh, like I said, in the SNMP, SNMP protocol, and they found a way to bypass SNMP authentication on 78 different models of modems. And this particular vulnerability has been dubbed Stringbleed. So our next story involves a well-known firewall manufacturer, um, Checkpoint. So what they're wanting to do now is actually get involved in um, in-car, in-car data protection. So they already apparently provide security communication between cars in the cloud. So they put together a um, working group to actually look into designing better um, in-car data protection. So that's pretty cool. So, I mean, Checkpoint, like I said, Checkpoint's well-known, um, very well-respected in the industry. So what they come up with will probably will probably be actually pretty cool. So we'll look forward to that. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a couple more stories on IoT botnets. So the first one involves Hajim, which uh, we mentioned in the podcast last week. Um, so it's a botnet that's actually been put together by a gray hat. So you know, if you want to look at the different colors of hat, um, so black hat's actually a bad guy, white hat's supposed to be the good guy, and then gray hat's somewhere in the middle. So it looks like this particular botnet, although it's not actually doing anything um, malicious at this point, it looks like it's been put together by someone who's a gray hat. So apparently what it's doing right now anyway is it's blocking access to four ports that are well known to be used as attack vectors when it comes to iot devices 
And then when it actually does whatever it does on a vulnerable device, it's, it displays a signed message describing its maker, um, who is the gray hat as just a white hat, um, securing some systems. So, so interesting, um, interesting approach to, uh, using a botnet, um, but right now it doesn't look like, like I said, it doesn't look like this particular person's actually using it for anything malicious. However, just in case you're wondering about doing something like this yourself, um, doing these things is still illegal, even though you may be trying to do something good with it. Um, unauthorized access to a device you doesn't, that doesn't belong to you is still illegal. And then some little, a little bit of follow-up news on BrickerBot. Um, and this is the one that finds vulnerable IT, IoT devices and basically just does stuff to them. Like maybe it may delete the file systems on the device or whatever, and basically just turns them into a brick. And this particular botnet has at this point, according to the article is killed or bricked over 2 million insecure IOT devices at this point. So yeah, a couple of botnets, one's doing bad and one's not really doing anything at all. Um, but it has the potential to do some bad things. Um, actually, one of the, one other thing, just a side note, one of the other things they mentioned as part of the hygiene, assuming I'm saying that right, botnet, is that it's pretty well written and it has um, quite a few features that aren't normally seen in botnets. So, for example, one of the things it does, um, instead of just running through just a random list of user ID and passwords trying to um, brute force access, access into the IoT device, it actually tries to connect to the device and sees what kind of string gets returned. So a lot of times when you try to connect to a particular device, it may return some string that lets you know what kind of what the manufacturer is and what the model is. So based on that information, um, the botnet code will actually parse that and then use user IDs and passwords that are specific for a particular manufacturing device. So that should save it a whole lot of time uh, when it when it comes to trying to um, gain access to the devices. So um, from one side, it's pretty cool. But the other side, uh, this particular, you know, this new botnet that actually isn't doing anything right now is kind of scary, actually, uh, um, given a, given what it could do um, if the particular um, person who put this uh, botnet together actually decides to do something malicious. So we'll see how this goes. And then we have the news about Cloudflare. And I'm sure a lot of you folks already know who Cloudflare is. It fronts a lot of different um, websites and so forth, basically just trying to prevent um, um, various attacks and so forth, DDoS attacks, that sort of thing against websites. So they've put forth a new product, which is called Cloudflare Orbit. And it's been put together to protect IoT devices uh, via a private network. So pretty much what it's going to do sounds like is that if it knows there's some vulnerability out there that's being taken advantage of for IoT devices and you have devices behind Cloudflare Orbit that are being protected, um, Cloudflare will kind of do like a virtual patch and not let that vulnerability affect your devices. So Cloudflare is um, really cool for the protecting websites. And they do a really good job with that. So I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to do you know something similar um, for IoT devices. And then we have the Internet of Cows. So there was a hackathon put together, which is called the Internet of Cows Hackathon, which was hosted by BOV Control, which I'm assuming is a short for like bovine control or something like that. So it's a Brazilian startup, which is building data analytics to support livestock operations. So a few, I don't know, two or three, four podcasts ago, 
we actually mentioned it wasn't this company, but it was a different company that was attaching. Um, I think it was sensors to the cows tails tails to um, make sure that pregnant cows actually, yeah, they were connected to the tails of pregnant cows to make sure the uh, birth went okay. So just uh, another story of more um, systems and so forth, sensors and such um, for IoT um, being focused at cows. Interesting. And then what would a week be without a car vulnerability? So it looks like Hyundai has joined the club of car makers who have had vulnerabilities identified in various um, connected systems on their car. So it looks like, according to the story, Rapid7 discovered a vulnerability in Hyundai's Blue Link system. And this particular vulnerability allowed, among other, th among other things, remote start of the cars. And I think according to the story, Hyundai has actually patched this particular vulnerability. So if you do have a Hyundai, then I would definitely make sure, um, well, if you have a Hyundai and you have the Blue Link system, um, that you definitely uh, make sure you get this particular system patched. Because like I said, among other things, it allows remote start of the car. Um, and I think a few other things it said that it could do... Um, once exploited, um, Rapid7 was able to um, capture usernames, passwords, pins, and so forth. Um, and then they were actually able to locate the Hyundai vehicle, unlock it, and then start its engine. So, um, yeah, definitely if you got a Hyundai um, with Blue Link, then uh, make sure you get a updated version. And then finally, under IoT, it looks like a company called W-I-S-E-K-E-Y, Y-C-K-E, maybe? Um, International Holding, which is a cybersecurity and IoT company, they unveiled a new product, which is called YCKIOT, so W-I-S-E-K-E-Y-I-O-T, which is a framework that offers digital public key infrastructure, PKI certificates for connected devices. And the certificates, certificates themselves are protected in certified tamper-resistant silicon chips and... They can also um, do on-premise premises certif cert certificate, easy for me to say, certificate management systems, and so forth. So one of the things we've mentioned in past podcasts is that a lot of these devices out there on the Internet, IoT devices, are all using you know the same certificate and so forth. So you know once you compromise uh, one certificate, on one device, you can pretty much do the same thing on all the other ones that are using the same certificate. So this actually looks like it's pretty cool, um, depending on how hard it is to implement and you know how much processing power and all that sort of thing it takes. Um, where there might be a you know a solution for um, secure certificates on IoT devices. All right. So next up, InfoSec. So first one up on the docket uh, for InfoSec, um, Kali Linux. So if you're into pen testing, um, you probably know what Kali Linux is. Basically, it's a um, Linux distribution um, primarily for uh, penetration testers. So they've got a new version, which is 2017.1. And this one is or this one does support um, GPU instances in um, Azure and Amazon Web Service. So if you're not sure what the GPU is in the cloud, um, basically it's where you can rent out um, GPU processing power, which can be used to crack passwords. So they built this into the latest version of Kali. 
So instead of running, so if you're doing pen testing and you're trying to crack passwords and all you have available is the CPU of, you know, whatever you happen to might be running um, Kali Linux on. Now, instead of doing that, you can uh, rent out space in uh, Azure or AWS and do some uh, cracking passwords using GPU power. And then one other thing um, they've added to this particular new version is support for the wireless chipsets. Um, RTL 8812AU, which I think that's a Realtek um, uh, wireless chipset. So, yeah, something new from Cali. And then we have the story from the Google Play Store where some researchers looked at um, various applications available on the Google Play Store and found that hundreds of these applications they looked at are opening ports on smartphones. So it's not surprising that applications are doing this. It's... Um, Unless there, if there's not a necessary reason for opening the port, then it's pretty much bad practice. Um, but the researchers found that these ports that were opening um, were, you know, you take a few ports, multiply it by millions of devices, and now you've got um, a application or hundreds of applications opening ports and exposing millions of mobile devices to potential attacks. So... Something a little scary, another uh, bit of a scary story um, coming out of the Google Play Store. And then next up, we have the story where for about five to seven minutes, according to the story, there were 36 large network blocks that were temporarily routed um, through a Russian government-controlled telecom. And at this point, I haven't seen whether they actually have ever explained it or not, um, but apparently it was diverting traffic belonging to like uh, companies like MasterCard, Visa, and then there was over like two dozen financial services. Um, the stories mentioned that things like this can happen um, because of human error. Somebody's routing traffic the wrong way or whatever. Um, but they did say it was curious that it involved um, a high concentration of um, financial companies in this particular um, network traffic diversion. So, We'll see if there's any more uh, news comes out about this, um, but uh, rather interesting. And then next up, we have a couple of stories about malware. So um, Sentinel-1, um, they did a study on, um, well, a malware study where they found that um, fileless malware attacks, attacks continue. Um, which I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not a super big revelation. Um, they also found that, um, file-based malware is also increasing as well. So, you know, file, fileless malware is, is, is exactly what it sounds like. Um, instead of dropping files on a file system, like a hard drive or whatever, um, instead they, you know, they run this malware out of, um, um, basically system memory. So one of the things, um, that was mentioned in the study that I think was one of the key points in the uh, Sentinel-1 study is that there's so many different variations of malware happening all the time um, and then different ways of doing it, whether it's dropping a file on the system or, you know, writing to um, the registry, uh, running in system memory or whatever, um, that it's almost impossible or pretty much is impossible for um, AV solutions, which a lot of those, a lot of the AV solutions are signature based, um, to keep up with all the different variants of malware that are continue to show up on the internet. And then the next story about malware, um, there's a, there's a new Mac OS malware. Um, and 
what it does is spy on or it gives the ability to spy on HTTPS traffic on Mac OS. And it's actually signed with a legit Apple ID. So that's pretty interesting. Um, so definitely if you spend a lot of time in Mac OS, um, be extra vil- diligent um, about, you know, the files you open and so forth. Um, given the popularity of Mac OS, um, it's not surprising that it's going to become a bigger talk, bigger target, maybe not to the um, extreme that Windows has, but um, nonetheless, uh, Mac OS is still going to be targeted by malware. So do keep a look out for that. And then in the breach news, uh, we have a couple of um, companies that I noted here for the podcast, um, an online company, futurepets.com. Um, they expose the details of more than 110,000 credit cards online. So way to go there. And also the, um, Chipotle, um, which had the, um, issue with, um, I think it was E. coli or something like that bacteria in their food a while ago. Um, now they've notified customers, of a potential payment processing breach, which happened between the time of March 24th and April 18th. So if you were in Chipotle or bought some from, from Chipotle during that time, then I would keep an extra eye out on uh, your credit card statements to see if anything shows up uh, that you didn't purchase. And then there was a neat article, article, which the link to this article will be in the um, newsletter and, you know, AKA show notes. Um, the article basically talked about the fundamentals of fingerprint scanning, and it gave an overview of the three, um, common ways to scan a fingerprint. Um, so if you didn't know, um, which actually I may have known this, but it actually just hadn't uh, occurred to me in my head, but there's three different ways, at least in this article, um, that they scan fingerprints. So optical capacitance and ultrasound. So anyway, it's, a I'll let you have a read out, read on the article. Um, but like I said, um, really interesting article and it's on, actually it's on, I keep meaning to mention this. So it's on hackaday.com. Um, I think I mentioned this in a few podcasts ago or something like that. Um, in the past, um, definitely a site worth looking at cause they have, especially if you're into IOT, uh, making your own devices, that sort of thing. Um, really interesting site, um, and interesting articles, articles to look at. And then finally, under InfoSec, the OWASP Top 10 um, has a new uh, version. So it's the um, 2017 OWASP Top 10. So a couple of the items they added in there um, that are new for this year, the new there's a new A7, uh, which is called Insufficient Attack Protection. And then also there's a new A10, which is Unprotected APIs. So I'm not going to get into too much detail about this, um, but if you're into web development or, well, anything um, web-related um, that requires some kind of security be put in place, um, web applications, that sort of thing, then definitely uh, check out the new OWASP Top 10. And then on to the uh, tech sec- section of the podcast. So it looks like Apple may be launching a peer-to-peer payment service for Apple Pay. So... That'll actually be pretty cool. Um, I think I've experimented with Square Cash um, occasionally in the past, um, which seems to work pretty well. But I use Apple Pay wherever I can, so it'd be really cool if they had some kind of you know peer-to-peer payment service where you could just um, send uh, money or you know well send money to um, other people you know who are using Apple Pay. So I don't know these. According to the article, these uh, rumors of 
this sort of thing with Apple have been going on for quite a few years now. So whether it actually happens, we'll see. Um, but anyway, still be, still be kind of cool. And then next up, the FCC um, is planning to reverse net, net neutrality or planning to talk about it or vote on it or something like that in a meeting on May 18th of this year. So um, we'll see how that turns out. Um, I don't know. I guess whether you come down on there should be net neutrality or there shouldn't. Um, I think the the um, in the end, I don't think really anybody really knows what's going to happen. Whether you know, if we maintain net neutrality, is that going to really be a good thing, or if we get rid of it, is that really going to be a bad thing? I think it's just one of those things. Like there's so much stuff going on, on the internet now, uh, and it's so complicated. Um, it's kind of hard to tell whether keeping it's good, not getting rid of it's bad um, but anyway we'll see what uh, FCC has to say on May 18th and then the US Court of Appeals for the DC Circuit they and this is along the same lines as net neutrality they denied an ISP request to overturn a previous ruling on net neutrality rules so at this point anyway um, until the FCC probably reverses their net neutrality rules at least there's one court that's actually upholding the um, net neutrality rules and then finally under tech um, a little bit on the business side um, tech IPOs um, so if you're not familiar with IPOs or initial public offerings um, and this is when a um, company whether it's tech or whatever um, they go public and they start um, having shares available for uh, purchase and sale so this time last year, um, there was only one tech company that had gone public, and this year there's nine. So a huge uptick in the uh, number of tech, com tech companies that are um, going public. So that's pretty interesting to see um, and see if that um, trend continues uh, for the rest of the year. And finally, under the random section, so Comcast... Um, and this is a story about something I mentioned in a past co po uh, podcast where Comcast was looking to enter the uh, mobile wireless market. And I think they were um, partnering with Verizon um, to provide some kind of mobile service. Um, and I think they were bas mainly basing it off of their um, Wi-Fi hotspots that they have enabled on all their um, cable modem routers. And then they were using Verizon as like a fallback service if you weren't in range of one of these um, Wi-Fi hotspots. Um, but anyway, this story came out where it looks like they're likely not that serious about entering the wireless market free. Um, so I don't know who knows what Comcast, they probably, it's probably too much competition. Um, and Comcast didn't really like competition. They like, uh, they pretty much don't like to operate any, 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 in any other thing other than, uh, uh monopolies. All right. So, and, and this was a interesting story, which this is something I'd never actually heard of. Um, in 1973, Three crew members of the NASA Skylab mission um, went on strike for 24 hours um, because NASA, according to the story, was requiring them to you know work 16-hour days, and I don't know how many days straight they were requiring them to work work that. Um, they were they were like um, you know people on the ground don't have to work that many hours straight and that many days straight working 16 hours. Um, so why should we? So anyway, they went on strike for 24 hours um, during the old NASA Skylab mission. And then uh, the next story, one third of federal agencies reported data breaches in 2016. Um, 
honestly, I mean, while that's um, bad, obviously, um, I'd actually think it's probably higher than that. Um, and there were probably data breaches that weren't reported, um, which is normally the case. Um, and then finally, uh, and I bring up this particular story because I've mentioned um, various stories about John Deere and their DRM on tractor software and not allowing farmers to um, fix their John Deere tractors and so forth. Um, but apparently a Iowa farm cartoonist um, was fired after creating a cartoon that mentioned some of the big um, companies in farming, which are Monsanto, DuPont Pioneer, and John Deere. So basically the cartoon went like this. So there's one farmer talking to another farmer. The first farmer is like, I wish there was more profit in farming. And then the second farmer said there is. In year 2015, the CEOs of Monsanto, DuPont, Pioneer, and John Deere combined made more money than 2,129 Iowa farmers. Um, I don't know how factual that is. I think the cartoonist actually said he looked up the facts for this, so he was basically just saying something that was factual. Um, but anyway, one of the advertisers um, for this particular paper where this was printed complained and pulled their advertising and you know what happened after that? They fired the cartoonist. So yeah, just silliness. And then one last thing I'll mention. Um, last week, there were a plethora of threat intelligence reports that came out from various companies. So McAfee released one. Um, Rapid7 released one. I think that might have, they may, Rapid7 may be just starting to do this. Because um, I thought I read that it was like their initial one. Um NTT Security, they released one called the Global Threat Intelligence Report um, 2017. And then also Symantec and Verizon um, released their own. So not to get into each individual um, report, but like, for example, they're all they're all really interesting reads. Obviously, if you're in security, they're um, really interesting. Um, the McAfee Labs reports. Um, just to give you some examples of what was in there. So McAfee, they actually reported on um, Mirai IoT botnet. The um, global threat intelligence report from NTT Security. Um, some of the key global findings from this particular report were some, there are things like 77% of ransomware was detected in four, in, four um, specific industry sectors. Um, 73% of malware attacks started with phishing emails. 53% of worldwide phishing attacks originated from EMEA, EMEA region of the world. 33% um, of all attempted login attacks use the same 25 passwords. Um, that one's pretty interesting. And three of the most attacked industries um, now include finance and manufacturing. So again, that's um, what five reports that I know of that were released last week. Um, I've got them um, actually links to those particular things on the IoT This Week uh, website. So definitely check those out and see if there's anything that's interesting to you. But other than that, I think that is it for this week um, for the podcast. Um, again, um, if you have any suggestions or feedback, um, I can be reached at CraigZ28 on Twitter, or you can email me. Um, podcast at iotthisweek.com and you know let me know what your thoughts are other than that um, that is it for this week um, have a great day and we'll talk to you next week